Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I want to say hello to all of you who are joining us from St. Louis, all of our One Family Church community. I want to say welcome to our brothers that step into the Light Ministries. I want to say welcome to all of you who are joining us from all over around the world. We are grateful to have you with us today. On March 14th, I want to let you know, March 14th, we are going fully fidgetal. That's right, fully fidgetal. We're going to be fully live in person at the Shaw campus, right here at the Shaw campus on Sunday, March 14th, and fully digital, uh, just like we are now. So, so if you are joining us online, all of our ministries are going to be available to you online. Our life groups, our next steps, our dream team, our weekly celebrations, everything is available online. And everything is going to be available in person, live, beginning March 14th. We cannot wait to gather with you on Easter Sunday. That is Sunday, April 4th. We are going to be live and in person at both campuses. So we will be at the Shaw campus and at the Tivoli campus and digital. So we'll be physical at both locations and then uh, live online as well. So we are just thrilled to have you join us however it is most comfortable for you to join us. We're going to follow all the protocols and, and procedures and recommendations that uh, the city has, has asked us to do, masks and social distancing, uh, and, and we're going to keep it safe, but we are going to begin together, and we are thrilled to do that. Watch your inbox. If I don't have your email, please fill out a connection card. I'm going to send you an email next week, give you an opportunity to sign up on a survey. Let us know where you want to serve, how do you want to get plugged in, how you want to get involved as we slowly begin to re-engage in person. Amen? Amen. Uh, today, we are in part two of relationship status. And I got to tell you, uh, I'm excited about today's sermon. I'm excited about part two of relationship status because we're going we're gonna to dive into the deep end of the pool. All right. We're going to talk about what God has to say about sex, singleness, and marriage. Sex, singleness, and marriage. So I'm, hopefully I've got everybody's attention now. People are starting to trickle in from the kitchen and in from the bedroom and out of the bathroom into the wherever you got your program playing right now. Uh, we invite you to come. I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 7, 2. I'm going to read you a long passage, then we're going to dive in and break it out. Are you ready? Relationship status part two. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 says, now for the matters you wrote about, quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, close quote. Do I have your attention now, everybody? Is everybody tuned in? Is everybody ready to go now? Uh, I thought that might get your attention. Verse three, but the apostle Paul says, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife, he says, does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time, uh, the ESV says for a limited time, I, I, I like the ESV on that, uh, mutual consent for a limited time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of 
of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish, he says, that all of you were as I am. Uh, as we know, Paul was single. Uh, I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Today, I want to preach for the next few moments on the topic, mixed signals. Mixed signals. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with uh, open hearts and open minds, Lord. I pray that our defenses would drop, our walls would drop. Uh, we, would, we would have uh, soft hearts, that our hearts would be like good soil. And the seed of your word would drop into our hearts, Lord God, and implant deeply in there. Uh, and that it would grow, that we might flourish, and that we might experience the joy and the purpose and the, and the, and the passion and the mission that you, have, um, that you have planted in us. God, I just pray that each and every person today uh, would pause whatever it is they're doing, focus in on you. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that this would be a, a time for all of us to grow uh, deeper in our relationship with you and with each other, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if any of you have ever had um, mixed signals in your life before where you got, you got a signal from somebody that made you think that you needed to go in one direction and then maybe you got another signal that you needed to go a different direction. Uh, when my wife and I were dating many years ago, uh, I, was, I was ready to propose. And so I had gotten a ring, and I had gotten on an airplane, and I had flown from where I was living at that time in Phoenix, Arizona, to where she was living in Nashville, Tennessee. I had gotten a signal from her from um, the last few months, you know, in our correspondence and our phone calls and our emails and the times that we had seen each other. I had gotten a signal that, like, things were moving forward that it was time to begin stepping closer towards marriage. And I had taken that signal uh, seriously. So I went and got the ring, and I got all ready, and I put the ring in my pocket, and I went over to Nashville, and I was getting ready to get on my knee and ask her to marry me. Well, uh, one night we are out to dinner, and it's the night that I'm going to ask her. So I've got the ring literally in my pocket. And we're out to dinner, and the two of us are sitting at a restaurant, and then there's a larger table of people, and they asked us to come over and take a picture of them. So they wanted somebody to get a picture of their whole party. So we took a picture and we got to talking with them and we're laughing and, you know, shooting the breeze back and forth. And somebody at the table says, wow, you guys are such a cute couple. Are you guys going to get married? And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's interesting because I actually have the ring in my pocket right now and I'm going to be proposing to my girlfriend tonight. So I, that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. When they asked that question, Rebecca responded. She said, oh, my goodness. I mean, not for a long time. Like, you know, maybe, but way down the road. And as she's saying this, I'm going, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> Which signal am I supposed to go with? I, I, I thought it was yes, and now it kind of sounds like no. Which direction are we supposed to go? Throughout the night, can I just tell you, it was probably the most stressful night of my life. I got signals that were like, we're moving towards marriage. And then I got signals of like, hey man, we're just, we're just casually dating. And I was like, by the end of the night, I was so exhausted that I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going for it. Will you marry me? And I put it out there and thankfully she said yes. But for a while, it wasn't entirely clear. Our culture often gives us mixed signals 
with respect to sex and singleness and marriage. And we don't know what to do when we are always being bombarded, sometimes by the church, sometimes by the culture, with mixed signals about these hugely important topics. And so what I want to do today is I want to take uh, some time and I want to bring some clarity. Uh, I want to bring God's message, God's signal clearly to us about how he wants us to operate with respect to our sexuality, our singleness, and our marriage. Because the reality is this, God's program for our lives when it comes to our relationships is designed for our good. It's designed that we might flourish. It's designed that we might prosper, that we might experience joy, fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. It is not meant to uh, deprive us. It is not meant to depress us. It is meant to help us flourish. So I want to take a few moments and I want to explore some of these mixed signals that we get. And then I want to see what the Word of God says because God's Word is like a, a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our, our, our pathway. It pierces through the mixed signal and brings us a clarion and clear signal about what God wants for our lives. So let me start with one of the first mixed signals that you may have experienced and seen in life. And that's a signal around sex. And there are two signals here. There's a school of thought that would say sex is shameful. Sex is something that is dirty. Sex is something that we should avoid. Sex is something that we should repress. Uh, sex is something that we want to just keep at arm's length. And then there's another school of thought, and I'm, I'm calling it shameless. That school of thought basically stands for the proposition that uh, sex has no moral, ethical, or spiritual ramifications whatsoever. Uh, any two consenting adults should just have sex whenever they want, wherever they want, and there's nothing else attached to it. Be free, do whatever you want, however and whenever. So these are two schools of thought that we often hear in the culture. One is that it's shameful, and one is that it's shameless. And what is fascinating about that, that dichotomy, those two schools of thought, is that the Corinthian church was wrestling with those same mixed signals. They were wrestling with those same voices, those same messages that were coming in from the culture around them. So uh, what we know about the Corinthian church when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter is that the Corinthian church uh, was surrounded by a, a religious tradition that worshipped the goddess that you and I may know as Aphrodite. Now we had to give you a severely cropped image of Aphrodite for purposes of this um, sermon uh, in case you had kids watching because there are very few pictures of Aphrodite, this, the statue, the goddess of Aphrodite, uh, with anything on below her neck. So anyway, that's Aphrodite. Aphrodite is where we get the word aphrodisiac. Um, the goddess of Corinth was the goddess uh, of love, sex, pleasure, sensuality. That was the goddess uh, in Corinth that people worshiped. That was part of the religion there. There were temples to Aphrodite in Corinth, and historically, um, historians tell us that historically there was a thriving um, prostitution industry in Corinth, and uh, prostitution was not only permitted, but it was sanctioned and even encouraged. Uh, there's some debate as to whether or not it was part of temple worship, in Corinth, but at the very least, uh, it was a very normal part of the Corinthian life. And so there were Christians in Corinth 
who were responding to this hypersexuality that they were seeing in Corinth, and they were saying, you know, maybe sex is just something shameful. Maybe it's just something that we should avoid. Maybe it's something that we should just get away from altogether. In fact, maybe, this is, this is, what, they, this is what some of them thought, maybe even married couples should avoid sex. Because sex in and of itself is somehow inherently shameful. The reason we know that that, that that message was part of what people thought is because the Corinthian people wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul with a bunch of questions about sex and singleness and marriage. And the Apostle Paul wrote back to them. And when he wrote back to them, he included some of the quotes from the letter that they had written to him. So let's go back and read 1 Corinthians 7, 2. Now for the matters you wrote about. This is the first verse I had read uh, uh, at the beginning of the sermon. Now for the matters you wrote about, quote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So he's, he's in, this, in this part of the passage, he's about to answer their question. Their question is, hey, is it just better that sex is off the off the table altogether? Is it better that we just focus on the spirit and that we just denigrate all of the pleasures of the, fe- of the, of the, of the body? Is it, is it, it, maybe it's just best that we just pray, we just focus on God, but we don't have any, but, but that we just avoid sex. Like it's just too shameful. So that was one school of thought, okay? Then there was another camp and they were also part of the church in Corinth. Um, and, and he quotes them in the same letter because here's what they said. Look at verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 and 13. He says, quote, I have the right to do anything, end quote, you say. Quote, I have the right to do anything. You say, quote, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. So what that school of thought is basically saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. There are no ethical, moral, or spiritual ramifications with respect to my body. Sex is shameless, right? First school of thought says, avoid it. Second school of thought says, doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want with whoever you want. The body and, and, and the spirit are totally separate. God cares about my spirit. He cares about my heart. He cares about my, uh, my, my, my emotions. He cares about my mind, but he doesn't care about my body. So I can do whatever I want. So you got these mixed messages. Sex is shameful. Sex is shameless. Now, the Apostle Paul, this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible is not, is not prudish. The Bible is clear. The Bible is explicit. The Bible understands what, what a human being is all about. And the Apostle Paul responds to these two schools of thought in this letter. And listen to what he says. Because he, he answers the, the, the group that says it's shameful. Right? Uh, the group that said maybe we just, you know, men and women should not have sex at all. He says in response to that, no, no, no. (laughs) Verse 3, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife should fulfill her marital duty to her husband. Do not deprive each other, he says, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, what he's saying is, no, 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 guys, I don't want you to get this wrong. Sex is not shameful. Don't avoid 
sexual intimacy with your spouse. Don't, don't, don't denigrate your body, right? So he's, he's addressing that school of thought. But then he also has to turn around and address the other school of thought, right? Here's what he says to them, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Listen to this. This is important. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So what he's saying to those who think that sin is, or that sex is shameless, that you can do whatever you want with your body and, and God doesn't care, he's saying, no, 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 wait. The, the body isn't something that, that doesn't matter. The body is something that matters very much. The body is God's temple. I want you to honor the body. I want you to treat the body right. So he's saying this. He's like, I'm not going to get caught up in this dichotomy of sex is sinful, uh, shameful, or sex is shameless. There's actually, there's actually a truth that is neither of those things. And the truth is this. When sex is, is, is put into the parameters of the covenantal relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, it can be a, a, a flourishing, wonderful, good, and right thing. It's just that when it is out and, and, and being done in all kinds of ways haphazardly, that it causes you to suffer. It brings pain. It brings heartache. It diminishes. It, it's tied in with your uh, your mind, your heart, your spirit, you can't just separate your body from the rest of your life. He says, I want you to honor your body because your body is the temple of God. Um, in fact, the way he puts it is this. Um, I'll read you the, he says in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 7, 8, uh, when he's speaking specifically to the unmarried, I say to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. He's saying, you know, it's good to remain single. But then he says this, if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. And then he's, interesting lines, it is better for them to marry than to burn with passion. Than to burn with passion. So he's, he's actually using the metaphor of fire. I know many of you have heard that before, but he's using the metaphor of fire to talk about that uh, sexual desire. And he's saying like, if you are tempted to, to allow that fire to burn outside of your marriage, it's just better to get married. My son Lincoln is... Um, is 10 now. And the other day I walked into the kitchen. We have a gas stove and he's clicking the knob off and on. And the burner, I can see the flame. Like, you know, kids are like interested in fire. So he's clicking it off and on, off and on, off and on. And I had to stop and I said, hey, Lincoln, you can't, you can't really play with that because this fire is designed to, to, to cook our food. And this fire is designed to bring nourishment and warmth. But if the fire gets out of where it's supposed to be, you know, it's not going to warm the house. It's going to burn the house down. That's what Apostle, the Apostle Paul is talking about with respect to our sexuality. He's saying, look, it's good. It just needs to put, be put in the right place. He's saying, do not degrade the body, right, by, 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 um, by dishonoring the, the, the body in the way God designed it. Don't deprive the body by not experiencing the, the pleasure uh, that, is, um, that is yours when you are married. Um, he's saying rather devote the body to the purposes of God. So I want to bring a clear signal where there are 
mixed signals. Don't degrade it. Don't deprive it. Devote it to the work of God. I, I just want to say this to those of you who maybe um, are listening and you've, you've, you, you, you've either deprived it or you've degraded it. You've either treated sex as somehow inherently shameful and you are, you know, you're ashamed of it or uh, you've just said, whatever, I'll just do whatever I, I want. The beautiful thing about, about God is, is he always lets us reset. I, I talked about this last week. If you, didn't, if you didn't watch last week's sermon, please go back and watch it. It's a sermon about shame and repentance and confession. I just want to say this. If you have experienced either of those mixed signals in your own life, I want you to know that there is a God who loves you, who has given his spirit to you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He loves you. He wants you to honor him. He wants you to honor yourself. He wants you to respect yourself. If you want to take the, the, this 40 days of prayer and fasting that we're in right now uh, and just spend some time reconnecting with God with, with respect to your body and your, and your sexuality, um, I just want to invite you to do that. Just spend some time with God saying, God, I, just want to, I actually want to walk down your path. I'm tired of all the mixed signals. I want to hear your voice, and I want to walk down your path. So that's the first mixed signal that the Corinthians and many of us uh, have received. The second one is also very interesting, and that is about marriage. This is a mixed signal that a lot of us get, and it's either that marriage will complete me or marriage will confine me. And another way of saying that is that singleness is, is a curse. That's one verse, version. Uh, but, but marriage is worse, right? So, so we get these signals from our culture that either, either we are incomplete human beings if we are single, or that, man, you just got you know, to endure this ball and chain if you're married, right? So in, in one picture, we, we have a picture of someone who actually believes and has come to believe that they are an incomplete human. They are not whole unless there is someone else with them. This is a very damaging message. When we were on vacation, we were doing a, a jigsaw puzzle, my, my family and I, and we had this huge, gorgeous jigsaw puzzle with, with, uh, with a peacock on it. And we got almost done with it. And we got to the very end. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but like we were missing one piece of the puzzle. And I got to tell you, man, it was frustrating. I'm looking all around trying to find the one piece of the puzzle because the puzzle wasn't complete without the piece. A lot of us think about our lives like that. Single people are tempted because they get this message, expectations from other people. They get this idea that I will not, that I am not complete unless I am with another person. Let me just tell you, if you're single and you've heard that message and you have absorbed that message, that is not God's message for you. You are whole and complete and right and good right where you are. Uh, the, you are not an incomplete, missing, you know, nobody's there to complete you. You are already complete. God made you the way he made you. He loves you. He loves you and, and you are whole and complete in and of yourself. Now, the, the opposite version of that uh, in fact, let me just read you what he says um, about that. He said, now to the unmarried and the widows, this is 1 Corinthians 7, 8, I say, it is good 
for them to stay unmarried as I do. This is not a picture of shame. This is not a picture of you're incomplete. You got to get married or else you're not going to be whole. This is a picture of it is good. The Apostle Paul, uh, we know from history and from the, from the text, was not married. We don't know if his wife had died uh, or, or what happened there, but we know that as, at the, as of the writing of this text, he was not married. And he's saying, hey, it's good. Um, but a lot of times I think we experience, or single people will experience the cultural expectation that you get married. You gotta get married to be whole, right? You gotta get married to sit at the big kids' table, right? You gotta get, you gotta get married to move up to the big leagues. You're in the minor leagues until you get married. Now you're in the big leagues. That's not the picture that God has for us. I, I read, years ago, I read a female blogger and she was single and she was saying in, in her blog, she was saying, you know, it's, it's frustrating to, to, to always have people like, you know, wonder when you're going to get married. Because in, in her case, she's like, I, I'm, not, I'm not really ready to get married right now. I'm not looking to get married right now. I'm good. But she, was, she said that a lot of times um, some, of the, some of the older married women in her congregation would come up and they would, you know, every time they saw her, you know, or, or they, they'd be at a wedding um, and, and they'd come up to her at a wedding and they would look at her with those, those big eyes and they'd say, you're next, you know, like it's going to happen for you. And she, it always made her feel kind of uncomfortable. She said um, in her blog, she said um, every time she attended a funeral, she was, attempt, she was tempted to go up to those same ladies and look at them and say, yeah, but she didn't. So anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating, right? When we have this cultural expectation like, oh, you gotta get married. You gotta get married. And, and the Apostle Paul is saying this. He's saying, it is good for single people, unmarried people, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. And then he says why. An unmarried man, he says, is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. So this is really a beautiful passage. If you're single, this is a beautiful passage for you because what the Apostle Paul is saying is, man, just soak up this singleness right? Soak this time in because this is an opportunity for you to have undivided attention. This is an opportunity for you to focus on your purpose, focus on your passion, focus on what God has for you, and your attention is not divided. You're not divided with, with all of the, of, of, of the challenges of being married. You're not, you're not, when you're married, you're worried about your spouse and your house and your 401k and the diaper bills and the orthodontics and the, I mean, you've got stuff to worry about. Apostle Paul says, hey, it's good because when you're single, you can really spend time focusing on the Lord. And so I want to say to those of you who are single, and I know there are a lot of single people in our congregation who are just good being single. So, 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 so leave them alone. If they're good being single, uh, you know, don't try to set them up with your bow-legged nephew who they don't want to meet anyway. They just, they're just good being single. Single is, singleness is good. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, he's also challenging this idea that marriage is bad, that marriage will confine me, right? 
You know, a lot of people say, well, keep your eyes wide open before you get married and half shut afterwards, right? And, and the implication is, man, marriage is rough. Marriage is tough. Um, but the reality is marriage can be an absolutely beautiful opportunity for you to flourish and grow and serve someone and be served by someone and understand yourself better and get to know them better and deepen your relationship with God and each other uh, if you will have the right approach to marriage. I think the problem for a lot of people is that they come into marriage with the wrong expectation, right? Because they think, you know, marriage is going to complete me. And when they come to the marriage, they think all my baggage is going to go away. All my mess is going to go away. I'm going to be full. I'm going to be whole. I'm going to be completed. And what they find is that they brought their mess into the marriage. And so their mess is now in the marriage. Now you have a marriage mess instead of a single mess, right? And the, and the problem is that will then disappoint you if you had false expectations about the marriage and the marriage does not meet your expectations. It's not that there's something wrong with the marriage. There's something wrong with the expectation that you brought to it. Uh, Several uh, months ago, uh, Rebecca and I were actually in a, in a um, jewelry store on the Del Mar Loop called the Silver Lady. And, and some of you know this store. It's, it's right on the Del Mar Loop, right next to our um, U-City campus. And we're in there, and Rebecca was looking for a ring. She wanted to find a ring for her right hand to match she, one of the rings on her left hand. And so she comes into the Silver Lady, and um, and she says, and he says, yeah, what, you know, the guy there says, what, how can I help you? And she says, I'm looking for, um, for a gold ring for my, you know, for this finger. And he kind of looks at her for a minute and he goes, you realize that this, this place is called the Silver Lady, right? He said, we don't have gold here. We only have silver here. Uh, it did, it kind of hit us both at the same time. Like, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. We both felt a little um, silly because... Obviously, we went into a silver store looking for gold. A lot of times in, in marriage, you, you think you're getting in, into the marriage looking for one thing, and, and really the Bible says, no, that, that's, not, that's, not what that's, that's not what that's for. The marriage is not to complete you. The marriage is not to make you whole. The marriage is an institution to help you grow, but you're going to grow in the same way that you would grow if you were a single person by devotion to the Lord. You're, 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 the marriage will not fix you. In fact, here's what the scripture says about marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So what the apostle Paul, what the, what the scripture writers are saying, what, what the Lord is saying through his word is that it's, it's neither this or that. Marriage is not going to complete you. It's not going to make you whole. And marriage is not going to confine you. It's not going to unduly restrict you. Marriage is an opportunity. It's a good thing. Singleness is a good thing. Marriage is a good thing as long as God is at the center of both. So the mixed message is, once again, the Bible just cuts a clear path right down the middle. And then I want to give you one last mixed message that I think some of you have probably wrestled with uh, in your own life, and that is this. I need to find the one or I need to be the one. I need to find that one person, that soulmate, 
And if you're real spiritual, you're not going to say soulmate. You're going to say my Boaz. I need to find my Boaz, right? I read your prayer requests. I know what you're looking for. I need to find the one. And then you'll other times hear the message. No, no, no. Don't try to find the one. Be the one. Now, let me just tell you this. Let me, let me dive into the first one first. That's a lot of pressure to find the one. And can I just tell you that this idea of soulmate, this idea of finding the one is not a biblical idea. There are no scriptures that say, find your soulmate. There are no scriptures around that. The scripture, in fact, in the time that the Bible was written, marriages were arranged. So the Bible never says you've got to find the one. The Bible says if you want to get married, if you need to get married as a concession, not as a command, then, you know, find a person who is honorable and be with that person. Like, don't be unequally yoked. Find another believer and, and marry. And that it doesn't give us instructions on how to do it. Like, I remember when I was first, when I first became a Christian, this was one of my big questions because I had never dated as a Christian. During my whole 20s, I wasn't a Christian. So when I became a Christian, I'm like, okay, now how am I supposed to do this? I mean, I literally Googled how to date as a Christian. That was, my, that was the beginning of my dating life as a Christian. Um, for me, a book came up that was called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping by Henry Cloud. And, uh, you know, you're, you're welcome to read it, but there are many there are many ways to date and court and all of that. Uh, there's no biblically prescribed way. That book was hugely helpful for me. I read that book and I started dating, uh, uh, you know, according to the teachings of that, of that book in a, in a godly way. It's a, it's a, it's a Christian author. Um, and, you know, by God's grace, I met my wife. Uh, but, but the Bible is never saying to you, you got to find the one. Okay, so let me just take that pressure off of you. And the Bible is also not saying be the one because that's a lot of pressure too. That means that I've just got to be righteous and pure and holy and I'm just going to try to get myself in good enough shape so that somebody will love me. God's saying, no, 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 no. In fact, I don't want you focusing on finding the one and I don't want you focusing on being the one. Here's what I want you focusing on. I want you to focus on receiving the one. I'm the one that you need. In fact, I want you to take your mind off of this desperate need to find fulfillment, to find yourself in sexuality, singleness, or marriage, and I want you to just come after me. Because, in fact, one of the scriptures says um, that, that if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the things that you need will be added unto you. Another verse that I love in, in Matthew 7, uh, verse 9 and, and 11 through 11 says this, which of you, this is Jesus speaking, if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if your son asks for a fish, we'll, we'll give him a snake. It's a rhetorical question because the answer is no one. Nobody's going to do that. If your son asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If your son asks for fish, you're not going to give him a snake. And then Jesus says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more Will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? So here's what I want to encourage you to do today. I, I, I want to I help you clear through, clear your way through all of these mixed signals, all of these mixed messages that you get from culture, from the church. And I want you to focus your heart on God. For the next 40 days, if, if you have not started participating in our 40 days of prayer and fasting, I just 
strongly want to encourage you to do that today. You can go on our website, onefamilychurch.com slash 40 days. There are daily prayer guides. Uh, there are scriptures. There are readings. There are prayers. There are videos that you can watch. But spend 40 days saying, you know what? I'm going to cut through all of the noise. I'm going to cut through all the chaos. I'm going to focus my heart, my attention on God. Father, I want to receive you. I want to find my fulfillment in you. I want to find my hope in you. I want to find my purpose in you. And then I want to let you take me where you need me to go with respect to my singleness and with respect to my marriage. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you have gotten caught up in a lot of these mixed signals from the culture around you, and, and you're just thinking, man, I, 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 need, I need something. I need something better. I need something stronger. I need something richer for my life. I want to encourage you today to, to, to commit your heart to Jesus and to let us know that you've done it. You can fill out a connection card. Uh, there's one in the description. There's one in the chat. Just take a moment, click on that uh, connection card and just let, let us know, I want to follow Jesus. And a member of our team will reach out to you and we'll help guide you down the path to, to, to where God really wants you to go, your fulfillment and your purpose and your flourishing in life. If you are thinking about maybe becoming a part of One Family Church, join us today. There's going to be a Zoom call at 1045. Uh, a Zoom call at 1045. There's a link in the chat and in the description. Jump on that Zoom call. We're going to be in step three of our next steps. And this is all about discovering your purpose and leaning into what God has for you and making a difference in the lives of others. So I would love to, enjoy, uh, I would love to invite you to, to join us uh, in that meeting today, in that session. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and, and you want to participate in expanding the ministry, one family church and the, the mission of bringing people and God together in love. Join us today by giving. Onefamilychurch.com slash give. You can join today. You can start today with a one-time or recurring gift. I just want to invite you to participate with us in that. And then finally, I want to invite you to take the bread and the cup. Because the scripture says on the night Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body is broken for you. And then he said, drink. This is the blood of my covenant that's being poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, if you are trying to cut through the mixed messages that you're receiving from your childhood, from your friends, from social media, from wherever you're getting your messages from, and you want to just focus your heart, your mind on God, I want to invite you to bow your heart, to bow your head, and to let me pray for you as we close out today's sermon. Father, we are grateful for you. We are grateful, God, that you do desire that we would flourish, that we would experience your joy, and that we would experience your fulfillment that we would experience the purpose that you have for each and every one of us. God, I pray for every person watching this sermon right now, God. I pray that you would just cut through all of the noise that we hear in our lives and our culture. And I pray, Lord God, that we would just focus our heart, mind, soul, and body on you. That we would receive the nourishment of your word in our heart. And that we might find our true fulfillment and our true identity and our true purpose in you. 
Father, I pray that all that we have done and said today would ultimately point to you, bring you honor, and bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us.